Our reading this morning is from Romans 8, verses 5 to 11. and can be found on page 1134 of the Pew Bible. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. As David said, we are going to be looking at this passage from Romans 8 through the lens of as if. So to get the ball rolling, let's, I'm going to say a few as ifs. So St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. Mahatma Gandhi said, live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. And Augustine of Hippo is reputed to have said, Pray as if everything depended upon God. Work as if everything depended on you. And finally, the poet Goethe gave some wonderful advice to parents. He said, treat a man as he is and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as if he is all he can and should be and he will become all he can and should be. So, as David read at the beginning of the sermon, taking my little bit of speech unknowingly, Mark Batterson says, as if is a bridge from if only regrets to what if personalities. It's that middle section. And he says, what is real versus what is imagined, the brain does not distinguish between the two. So if the brain thinks it's real, it's real, and we'll act upon it. Therein lies the power of as if, and therein lies faith. Now, I know some of you have heard this example, but Mark Batterson uses it in his book, and it's a really good example of as if. So a school district in San Francisco ran a rather ingenious experiment. They took their three best teachers and said to them, Right, we are going to give you 90 
of the highest IQ students we have. And we want you to work with them over the course of this academic year and see where you get to. Well, at the end of the year, those students outperformed everybody else in the district by 25 to 30%. The principal then got those teachers in a room and said, I have a confession to make. We didn't give you 90 of the highest IQ students. We gave you 90 average students entirely picked at random. So as you can imagine, the teachers were feeling very pleased with themselves, having achieved such great results. And I think you know what's coming next. The principal said, I have another confession to make. You're not our best three teachers. <laughs> Your names were the first ones out of the hat. So, it's the power of as if. Because they all behaved and worked, those teachers and those students, as if they were the very best. Now, the problem with this, with regard to our passage, is that type of as-if is a bit of a lie. It implies we're kidding ourselves, that actually we're pretending a truth that isn't really there. And at this point, I can feel myself and Mark falling out. He would be claiming I don't understand, and I'd be saying he had used a bad example. Because as I reflected on these verses, and the verses did their best to speak to me, it occurred to me that Paul, when he said we should be living in accordance with the Spirit, this is not a throwaway one-liner. This wasn't just a glib phrase. Because he goes on to say in the passage that he's encouraging us to live with the Spirit. Verse 5. He's encouraging us to set set ourselves on what the Spirit desires, in verse 5. He's saying in verse 6 that we should be governed by the Spirit. In verse 8, we should exist in the realm of the Spirit. In verse 9, the Spirit of God should live within us. Also in verse 9, we should have the Spirit of Christ with us. And he finishes us finishes by saying in verse 14 that we should be led by the Spirit of God. Wow! This is full immersion. How on earth is that going to be possible? Maybe, just maybe, it starts as if we live and talk to Abba Father as if we are the Beloved as if we are more than conquerors, as if we are free from any and all condemnation. Mark and I are making friends again. He says, in 1675, the then Archbishop of Canterbury was acquainted with an actor called Butterton. And he said to him one day, Mr. Butterton, What is the reason you actors on stage can affect your congregations with the speaking of things imaginary as if they were real? While we in church speak of things real and our congregations receive them as if they were imaginary. 
And Mr. Butterton, clearly a confident fellow, said the answer's simple. We actors on stage speak of things imaginary as if they are real. And you in the pulpit speak of things real as if they're imaginary. So I'm sure that their friendship ended about there. (laughs) So it does suggest that as if has a certain power. But Paul was not saying, live in the spirit as if it is real. What Paul was saying is, live in the spirit, it is real, but you have to jump right in. You have to fully immerse yourself. And the passage warns us about living according to the flesh and reminds us, at the end in verse 18, it reminds us of the wonderful glory that will be revealed in us and to us if we do live by the Spirit. The problem is, if we don't understand what these phrases mean, how can we do it? Because on simple looking at them really simply, do I want to live by the flesh or do I want to live by the Spirit? Do I want to be governed entirely by my own desires or do I want to be a good Christian? And given that most of us, well, all of us are here in church this morning, we are probably inclined to the latter. But what does it really mean? And is it that simple? Is that the total immersion that Paul is getting at when he's saying to live in the spirit. The problem is what constitutes the things of the flesh is not specified. And people much greater than I have debated the things of the flesh. And it must mean something more than the concerns of everyday existence, like the provision of food, clothing, shelter, etc. It's got to be more than that. Because it says in verse 7, that living by the flesh is hostile to God. We cannot please God if we're living by the flesh. It is hostile to God. So we better work out what it is that living by the flesh means. And you'll be glad to know, I've done the reading so you don't have to. (laughs) Most commentaries agree that living by the flesh, the heart of it, this essential sin, is a devotion to something as God that isn't God. So it's having things in the core of our existence that we are devoted to that isn't God. St. Ignatius of Loyola, in his spiritual exercises, says very helpfully, but with enormous challenge, We should not prefer health to illness. We should not prefer riches to poverty. We should not prefer honour to dishonour. We should not prefer a long life to a short life. Our one desire and choice should be what is more conducive to the end for that which we are created. That's nigh on impossible, isn't it? I mean, that is a huge challenge. But the point is, our attachments to our desires can prevent us from that which we were made for, to love, serve, and praise God. But who wouldn't 
desire to be healthy. Who wouldn't want a long life? But Ignatius is asking us to examine our desires more deeply and ask the important follow-up question, which is why? Why do we want those things? Desiring health so I can show off my fabulous physique, which doesn't exist, is very different from desiring health so that I can serve God and others. So when I, or when we, look at our desires, we need to follow the instructions of Ignatius and ask ourselves this question. Do our desires help us love God and love our neighbour, or are they a hindrance? And if it is the latter, then we need to let them go. Otherwise, they will prevent us from saying yes to God and living in the Spirit. So, a little example of this. Uh, Somebody very near and dear to me had a problem with gambling. And it permeates through their whole existence. It becomes their God. Their God that wasn't God. It becomes their God. So every conversation was gambling. Their spare time was spent gambling. Their thought processes were gambling thought processes. And those, for example, I know it's an extreme example, but those are the things that get in the way. So the things that we desire are gods that aren't gods. So we need to be free from our attachments. Free that will help us to praise, revere and serve God. And this freedom will give us the joy and glory that is spoken about in verse 18. So, Romans 8 says we are more than conquerors. But I don't know about you, I don't always feel that way. And do I believe it's true? And do I behave like it's true? But actually, what it says here is we've got to behave as if it is true. So I'm going to finish by giving you some encouragement that I hope resonates with you as it does with me. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an analogy, but it is a true story recently. I was um, with Keir and Lucy, and we went to Cornwall with the Wakefields. And we went to um, the Tremonier Sculpture Gardens. I don't know if anybody has been to them but some of them are quite interactive. And one of these interactive um, sculptures was a room underground. So we filed in, and we stood outside the door, and there was a guide. And the guide stood there and said, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the door. It's going to be totally dark inside. I want you to step inside. I'm going to pull the door behind us. You're going to put your hand on this rail and you're going to walk around some corridors underground and then when you get to the end of the rail you're going to let go and you're going to take three bold steps forward where you will meet another rail and you'll be in a big dark room. Well, at this point Keir said, absolutely not. I'm going to stay outside and sat on a log and was joined by a mouse as an aside. So, 
me, Charlie and Anne-Marie said, OK, we're game. So we got inside. The guy pulled the door behind us and it was totally dark. And we had to give each other a couple of seconds so we didn't stumble over each other. So Charlie went off, followed by Anne-Marie, followed by the guy. And then I brought up the rear. So we followed this route and you are, it is totally dark and very claustrophobic. So we got to the end of the rail. I could hear some noise. And three bold steps forward. Brilliant. So I let go, three bold steps forward. And I was expecting a rail, not a solid board. And I'd broken my big toe playing cricket the week before. So I collided with the rail, whacked my big toe, which was, gave amusement to everyone, but it's not the central point of the story. <laughs> so we held onto the rail, and there we were in the cold, clammy, claustrophobic darkness. Total darkness, just holding onto a rail, not knowing if you're in a tiny room, a huge room, cave, whatever. And we stood there, and the guide said, wait, and have your eyes focus forwards. And after about three, four minutes of waiting, we started to see the faintest of shapes on a wall in front of us. And as our eyesight adjusted more and more, these shapes became clearer and clearer. And after about ten minutes, standing in this, what we thought was a totally dark room, you could make out the canopy of trees above us. There was a tiny hole away from the room in which we were in that was being reflected by a mirror onto this huge wall about ten foot in front of us. And after a while it did become crystal clear. So, that was fabulous. But the revelation to me is if living in the Spirit, that full immersion with Christ that Paul is talking about, is like seeing the canopy of trees on the wall, perhaps I cannot expect to see it immediately. Perhaps I cannot expect to have it without some effort or involvement from me. Wouldn't it be great if we could see the light of Christ the moment we decided we wanted to? Just click a switch. Are you living in the Spirit? Not at the moment, but I will in a minute. In the Spirit. Don't think it works like that. It's a bit like seeing that image. We need to give ourselves the time and the space, the prayer, to be able to connect. And we need to accept that perhaps... When we get it and we live in the Spirit and we see the light of Christ, sometimes we go back out into the glare of the world and we might have to do it all over again and keep doing it all over again because we are work in progress. Let us pray. Abba Father, help us to believe that we are more than conquerors. Send down your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might live in the Spirit and be all that you created us to be. And when we stray and cannot see you, help us to find our way back to your light and loving presence. In Jesus' name, Amen.